Want a fresh take on what's going on with the Saints, LSU, the betting world, and the NFL? Then you've picked the right place. Jim Derry has plenty of datitude, and he's ready to tell you the way it is. Well, the way he thinks it is. Where you at, New Orleans? And hello to all my friends across the country who are untangling Christmas lights and saying words like filth, florin, filth. Welcome to Datitude, episode number 29 for a Monday, November the 29th, I had to look at my watch, 2021. They're all rolling into one now, boys and girls. Christmas time, football season, starting to roll towards its conclusion. It's fun and sad all at the same time. I'm Jim Derry, sports betting writer at the Advocate Times Picune and bet.nola.com. And what is the big news today? <clears throat> well, at some point, either later today or tomorrow, you would think there's going to be a new LSU football coach. Who's it going to be? Matt Campbell is the name I've been hearing. Iowa State coach, possibly. Dave Aranda, got some texts yesterday. My my LSU, my real tight LSU friends, they want Aranda. And you know why they want Aranda? Because he's the only name that they know that's left. I mean, let's be realistic. The ones who don't watch a ton of college football don't sit up watching it every Saturday. And, and I got to admit, I'm not... I'm not a huge – I do watch a lot of college football, but I'm not, I'm not glued to the TV like I am on Sundays. So I don't, I don't know these coaches all that well. I know Aranda better than I know a lot of the other ones left. I thought it was going to be Lincoln Riley. So they really threw me a curveball. But obviously Lincoln Riley doesn't want to coach in the SEC. There's no other way to explain it. There's no question that they offered him the job. And he'd be silly not to leave Oklahoma for LSU. But it's just clear. I mean, if you leave Oklahoma knowing they're about to come in the SEC and you don't take uh, probably uh, somewhere in the ballpark of $12 million a year off from LSU and you go to USC to coach in the Pac-12, which to me is a step down from Oklahoma and LSU, you simply don't want to coach in the SEC. You don't want to fight that that fight and you don't have enough confidence in yourself. I mean, I'm not putting Lincoln Riley down. I'm just saying that if you don't want to come to LSU and you don't want to coach at Oklahoma, you just don't want to coach in the SEC. And you lack something. And that was strange. <clears throat> but he wasn't lying. He says he wasn't going to be the next coach at LSU, and he's not. So who's it going to be? Um... I had some friends of mine out there, uh, my Shaw buddies, thinking and wishing and hoping it's going to be Arizona Cardinals defensive coordinator Vance Joseph. It's not going to be Vance Joseph. I would love that, but it's not going to be Vance Joseph. So that's not happening. And then I had someone else text me this morning talking about how the rumor out there is Matt Rule would want to leave Carolina. The Carolina Panthers, that is and come coach LSU. Why would you leave a head coaching job in the NFL to come coach at LSU? Unless your name's Nick Saban and you're going to Alabama. I mean, that, that doesn't make any sense. 
and he's a good coach, and Carolina's fine. They just made a mistake at quarterback. They're, they're a good team. They're going in the right direction as soon as they find a quarterback. So it's kind of like the Saints, right? Sean Payton's not going anywhere anytime soon. We're going to uh, talk to, uh, we're going to hear about that in a minute, talking about Sean Payton. We have on Mike Detilia this morning. For those of you that were listening last week, you know that um, I was supposed to have a day off today. It didn't end up happening because I needed Saturday off, so I kind of had to switch some things up. But um, we're kind of, if there was a such thing as a best of datitude, we're, we haven't been around long enough for that, right? 29 episodes, you really can't have a best of yet. And not, not that you would do that with a podcast anyway, because you can just go back and listen to any of them. But um, we sort of have that kind of theme today. Um, with the Saints not playing yesterday, and we've, we've gone through the, the whole rigmarole on, uh, you know how I feel about the quarterback situation. Look, I think there's a lot of news that's going to come out between now and, and Wednesday. It doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to just kind of regurgitate what we've been talking about anyway. So we've got an interesting show for you today. If you were listening last week, then you listened to Mike Dettelier, and we had a great conversation with him. Um, and, and Mike's been on twice now, and it's been phenomenal. Okay, Mike has insight that in a way that only can, he can put it, put it that way. And so we had Mike on last week, and there was a huge chunk of the show that I just didn't, I didn't think fit in with a Bill Saints preview. And I didn't want to waste it. So I cut about 40-plus minutes out of the show, and I said, that could be a whole show. And why not do it today? Um, he talks about, Mike talks about all sorts of things. He talks about uh, Hank Stram, his days here with the Saints and how we got to know him a little bit. I was fortunate enough to meet him. Uh, just, he talks about Jim Hazlitt. He talks about how long he thinks Sean Payton will be here um, in New Orleans, or at least how long he'll coach the Saints. I mean, how long do we think? He's getting up there now. I think he's in his upper 50s. I know he's a little older than me. So and it, it's hard to believe, considering how young he was when he came here. That was 16 years ago. So I think he was 42 then. So he's got to be like 57, 58 now. But anyway, he talks about that. He talked, he's got some great vignettes on, on Bobby Bear and Coach O and what Coach O might do now and just all sorts of things. And it's, it's a wonderful chat. But just remember, when you're listening, this was, this was taken out of a, a longer interview. So it's a, if it's a little abrupt in the beginning, in the end, that's why. Anyway, let's get to it. And when we come back, we will talk a little bit about yesterday, the big day in the NFL. Here's Mike Dettelier. Mike, by the way, we're the daddies and the grandpas now. So I guess it's not our team either. I mean, you know. Yeah, I, I do remember... I do remember those times, uh, you know, but uh, it, it's it's strange how the world of football has changed in many ways, and yet the ability to run the football when you need to and have to and stop the run is still major factors in in winning games. Uh, now, you have a lot of people who all got all these analytical numbers that want to tell you different and that 
the running game is a residual of the passing game. And, you know, it's just a bunch of silliness. The physicality of this game and the ability to run the football when you have to run it and stopping the run is still a major factor. Now, you need a great quarterback. I, every once in a while, you'll see a team slip in. But I think in the modern-type times, if you don't have that guy, you don't have much of a chance. But also, if you can't stop the run and you can't run the football, you don't have a chance either. Hank Stram used to always tell me, he always told me, Bayou, he said, Bayou, uh, to win it all, you got to have it all. You got to win it all. You got to have it all, Bayou. You got you to have it all. And, and I really, I think about it, you know, he's right about that. Uh, it's not just one piece of the puzzle. You got to have all of them. And now with the 17-game season, you're going to have some clunker games. Boy, and then last week was a clunker for the Saints. And yet they still, the, if the playoffs started tomorrow, you'd be They'd in. still be in. I mean, and that's the shocking part about it. It's crazy. You, you got to matriculate the ball down the field, right, Mike? Yeah. Um, <laughs> and uh, I don't know how much NFL, and, and he did tell me, uh, because, you know, he worked for us uh, when Ditka left to be the head coach, WWL brought Hank in to yeah. do his segments at the casino show. So we worked together for a couple of years. And, man, Hank had some stories. Um, yeah, he, and he was a great storyteller uh, about certain things. But that that Super Bowl, he had refused. And it was Steve Sable's dad, Ed, mm-hmm. that convinced him to be mic'd up because he didn't want to. Yeah. Um, and Hank sometimes talked about himself third person. <laughs> which I, I, I heard, because uh, I went to two Pete Maravich camps when I was a teenager, and press would talk about Pete like that. But I, it's very few times I've heard a guy talk about himself like that. And uh, Hank would talk about, you know, well, the old mentor, you know, he needs this, and you know, the old coach right. needs this. And uh, Sable agreed that, hey, listen, we'll, we'll come up with those terms and put the mic on. Hank said, you know, by the middle of the first quarter, he had forgot that that mic was on. Now, I don't believe that. I think he right. knew it. He was playing up to the mic and the he camera did. and everything uh, at that particular point in time. But, uh, yeah, that matriculated the ball down the field and the – that uh, 65 cross power trap, right? All that stuff. Come on, that was a coach. You saw the coach, and I think he always acted that way. But boy, he really amped it up, uh, knowing that he was being filmed and then he was being mic'd. And that game was in uh, was in Old Tulane Stadium. Old Tulane Stadium, yeah, yeah, and uh, uh, it was. Um, Man, they recreated the, the Battle of New Orleans. They had some injuries involved because they shot off a cannon, right. uh, which messed up somebody's hand. They had a, a balloon go into the stadium and uh, that sort of thing. But it was uh, – I remember talking to Dave Dixon about it, and he said, you know, he had done studies about the weather in New Orleans – in January at that time. And, and that basically kind of sold the NFL. That and it was brutally cold, right? <laughs> and then the next one you got when the Cowboys played in Miami, it was, it, I think it's still the coldest Super Bowl 
uh, that they played in. Really? And so none of that really worked out. <laughs> right. But it was a beautiful thing. The sun was out. But that Kansas City game, man, it was a dreary, cloudy day. And it is part of NFL history. Uh, Buddy and I had done an article uh, for New Orleans Magazine together, and we actually had won a, a number of awards for it, about how the Super Bowl in New Orleans and kind of what it meant uh, to the game of football because there were some important games in New Orleans. But that one was the final game of the AFL. That's the right. old AFL. And then the merger hits. And a lot of people, oh, the Jets just got lucky against right. Baltimore. Right. And then the following year, the Chiefs, I mean, they stomped the Vikings pretty good in that game. It gave a, a kind of a validation that the AFL was on the same level in 10 years of the NFL, and they did it a different way. They, right. they won and they played a different way, a different style of football. They had been really good at drafting and going after a number of players, a lot of players from the predominantly black colleges that the NFL almost at that time had a quota on. Right. And they were, you know, you're an upstart league. I, I need players, and it doesn't matter where I'm getting them from. And, man, you think about all those players from Grambling and Jackson State and Alcorn, Morgan State, you name it, that were entering the NFL, but through the AFL, right. not so much through the NFL. And Hank uh, had always told me, he said, you know, the one thing I look back at, I think we made – the integration of the NFL easier for the NFL, who had some difficulties with it at times. He said, I think our success made it an easier transition. He said, it was a different time, different world. But he said, I really think that that probably is the biggest contribution we made to the NFL. And he said, I didn't care where they what player I got in, what college he went to, it didn't really matter to me as long as, one, you're a good person, you're, uh, you, you do what I ask you to do. And he said the third thing, and he said it's a little important by you, you got to be able to play. You know, you got to play. <laughs> you know, he said, you know, sometimes, um, he said the draft is a little bit tricky, and they were competing at one time in different drafts, AFL, NFL draft. And he said, you know, it was – you know, he said, I really think that that made it uh, a more simplified NFL world to understand that it didn't really matter what school you were at. And he said, I really think our success helped integrate a quicker SEC and no Southwest Conference into being able to sign black players because we had had success in the old AFL. And, and, and I Hank, think you know when and, you think back at it, I think Hank's right. And Hank was a was a was an ended up loving New Orleans. Ended up after he coached oh. here, he stayed here and was a Covington. He stayed in Covington. Yep. Oh And, man. I, and he, I got to meet him a couple Hank, of times. He was just a wonderful human being. Yeah, and man, he could talk. You know, because yes, uh, he could. He he was like um, 
you know, once once you get started by you, you, you can you can shovel it out real good. But he said, you know, the, the old master, I, I can talk to. Uh, okay, I got it. Uh, man, I think about man. If him and I and Abear did a show, it would really be something. Because uh, man, y'all could have uh, had a telephone or something. Y'all would have been on all day long. Well, three hours wouldn't have been enough. But you know, he he was a very genuine guy, uh, and I think he always. Because his dad was sort of in the clothing business, shoe business, that, you know, always customer was right and treat a customer right. And I think he was like that with other people, that he he always treated people very, very well. And, you know, uh, I, I knew him a little bit before he came to work with us, but I didn't know him a lot and got to know him quite a bit. And uh, how he kept up with the game, too. Um, but he would always when I would do my draft book, uh, you, you'd always write me a note and then call me and say, listen, uh, by you, uh, there's a guy that can wrestle. Um, mark, mark that on that page. Mark that on my page, uh, by you. You got to mark that. And he had a big thing about wrestling, that if a guy was a wrestler, that that meant a lot to him, that he knew that that guy had leverage, had body balance, had control, and he thought that was a big part of the NFL too. And he told me about Curly Cole. That was one of the reasons why uh, he really loved Curly Cole, who ends, who's now in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. But Curly was a heavyweight uh, NCAA wrestling champion, and he ended up with the Chiefs. And he said, man, you're that. I never saw Curly off his feet. He said, because, you know, being a wrestler, it was difficult to leverage him one way or another. And Curly was like six foot one and like 300 pounds. So you didn't have a lot of – you had body to get into, but, man, he could get low and get around you. But he was a big believer in that and also a big believer in um, <clears throat> it didn't matter your background, uh, the color of your skin, you know, what school you went to. There were certain things about being a team player, about being smart, about being able to play – for one that he he really believed in and he took that he he really believed that that was such a big part of his success and he had told me a lot of that came from his dad on, on treating people right well, the first time i ever met him i ran i was a kid i was 18 or 20 years old and i i ran into him at lakeside shopping mall and i and i recognized him and i and i'm like i've got to i've got to go say hello to hank stram and I did, and I'm just intending to say hello. The next thing I knew, we were having a five-minute conversation, and he couldn't have been more nicer to some kid he didn't know who was just happy like the game of football, and we talked football for five minutes, and it was wonderful. But that's the kind of guy he was. Yeah, and he, he loved to talk uh, uh, football. It, it was part of his deal. He would always ask me about this region, and I would always tell him, you know, we sort of like a banana republic here. You know, yeah. there's the city, That's right. there's the capital, there's the bayou, bayou version out in southwest Louisiana. You know, it's kind of the prairie Cajuns there, and then there's in north Louisiana. He was always sort of intrigued that it was so split, and yet everybody got along pretty well, you know. And because he said, you know, you go to some places, it's really a, a big divide. And there is a little bit of that, but uh, in Louisiana, but you know everybody gets along pretty well here. It's uh, to a certain extent, and so he he was always intrigued with that. And uh, 
and how this part of the, the state is, is a lot different than, say, if you go to the city and or if you go to Baton Rouge or Alexandria or Monroe or Shreveport or Lafayette, Lake Charles is a lot more similar to the Bayou than, than any other region uh, here uh, as far as that's concerned. So, uh, But he, he was interested in that. Even though he lived in Covington and, and he loved the area, he, he liked being warm. That was the deal. You see, you know, growing up in Indiana, you know, it's cold in the wintertime. That's it's right. really cold. He said, you know, you get some cold days here, but he said it doesn't last for two weeks. Uh, <laughs> and then you're coaching in Kansas City. And, you know, the weather there ain't great either. Right. And so, he, but he loved the warm weather and, and that sort of thing. And, and But his life was football. Um, I mean, you know, he loved his family and everything, but his life really was built around football 24-7. Well, he was certainly one of the greats. And, um, you know, we have one of the greats here in Sean Payton, and I'm still convinced, especially if he ends up staying here another 10 years or so, which I think is certainly possible and ends up staying no, I don't think so. You don't think? I'm going to disagree with you there, Jim. I, I think I think Sean is not going to be a lifer. Okay. Like Village. In the game, I, I mean. Uh, in the game, I, I don't think he's going to stay 10 years. Uh, I think if you look at it, if he stays an, an additional four years or five years, I think that'll be it. Because really I do that. think, yeah, because I, I do think that coaches today, you got enough money. You want to sort of live a little bit before your, maybe your health starts to decline a little bit and you can't get around maybe like you want to. We see it in players that, uh, and Brady's the exception to the rule, certainly, but I think that understanding there is some mortality, you know, into everybody's life. I, I don't, I don't see Sean here another 10 years. I, I can see him four to five, but, and only Sean can answer that, but, just hearing him and hearing him talk, I, you know, and knowing, you know, once you get into your 60s, right. that, you know, again, and 60 years old is not like when we saw our grandpas and dads right. in their 60s uh, anymore, uh, you know, but still, there are some things that can go wrong with you physically, uh, you know, and, and, you know, we lost one of the great ones yesterday was Cecil Hurt, you know, and Cecil was 62 years old. Yeah. You know, and he passed away from pneumonia. Uh, and, and, you know, you start to see some of those things that uh, you're like, wow, you know, uh, man, that, that's 62 years old. That's sort of young, you know, especially when you're in your 50s and 60s. You say, man, 62 is young. Now, when, you know, we were teenagers, man, 62 years old, you're an old man. But that, as you get older, it's not necessarily the case. So I think with some coaches, their life is football. I think with Sean, uh, and I think there's no doubt what you're saying. He's And people are going to be always critical if you don't win at all. But it is difficult to win championships and Super Bowls that um, that he's going to go down as one of the top coaches uh, to coach this game. And this club, other than a short run with Jim Mora, had no history of winning. None. 100%. You know, you, you go back to, it doesn't matter if it's Baum or Ditka. Uh, Haslett had that one really good year. Uh, you, you know, you go back even before then, I mean, there's nothing there. 
absolutely nothing. Because there's a, a kind of group of Saints fans, a certain age, they would have no idea the Saints of the late 60s and into the 70s. None. And you know, that the is, oh, I remember. Yeah, I remember, well, you know, when Bobby Hebert, what about Bobby Hebert? That's right. You know, Bobby Hebert went on the road uh, for his quarterbacks in Saints history. And so, and uh, now he's teasing, now you the old man, uh, you know, and, you know, but it's, it's well, I mean, realistic, realistically, Mike, if you think about it, I mean, if, if you're, if you're under 30 years old and my son's 23, he doesn't know anything but Drew Brees before this season. And if, you're, if you're 30, I mean, you were, you were a young teenager when Drew took over and you, you probably don't remember much before Drew, to be honest. No. And so unless you have done and some history research and stuff like that. I have a, um, a big game room, and, man, I've got a ton of Sports Illustrated and magazines and stuff on the wall, and it's to see everybody look. And, Jim, I hate to say this, but it's one of the most looked-at magazines, you know, uh, that I have up on the wall, and it's Bruce Jenner, the greatest athlete in the world. Yeah. And so people walk and they'll take a look and they'll say, wait a minute, is that <laughs> Bruce Jenner? I was like, yeah. I said, well, what happened? Can't you know, that anymore. But, you know, for, for guys, you know, of a certain age, man, into the seventies, Bruce Jenner, he was the greatest athlete in the world as a track star. And, and so, you know, you're looking at the world in a little bit different lane. I, one of my favorites up on the wall is Steve Prefontaine because I thought I could run like like Pre could, right? Um, and and I, and nobody could run like Pre could. I mean, and you know, they did movies about Pre, and and he was quite the character. But you know, and, and people who have seen the movie, oh, that's what Steve Prefontaine really looks like. So that's it. Uh, you know, it's. Uh, but it, well, it is kind of I, I feel old. I, I saw Mark Spitz on a commercial the other day, and he is like, I mean, he, he's all gray, he's super skinny. He looks like he's about 70 years old, and I don't know how old he is. But I'm like, oh, my God, Mark Spitz. I mean, you, you talk about great athletes. Yeah. I mean, one of the greatest athletes of all time, and I can't. it's hard to believe yeah. that that guy, you know, is probably close to 70 years old, and you start thinking about it. Like, maybe I am getting that old. Yeah, and I have one on the wall, and I think about it because, uh, you know, every late November, it sort of brings back memories. That, you know, I, I was a little bitty kid, but um, I had my mom talk about, you know, the Kennedy assassination. Right. And there's a 1961 Sports Illustrated with JFK and Jackie on the cover because he was a sportsman, loved being on the water. He loved football, too. And I... And, you know, people pass and look at that. Oh, look how young he was back right. then. Yeah. And look the date on that magazine. You know, it's 1961. And, and you know, just a different world, different time with it. And so um, you talk about, you know, with, with Drew and for a lot of people, that's all they, they sort of remember. And if you're a little bit older, you remember, you know, Bobby and, and when he played and Aaron Brooks. And But if you're really up in age, you remember, you know, Billy Kilmer, Archie Manning, and Archie always has the line about it. Mike, you know, a lot of times I go place people like, oh, you know, and he, you know, you you Eli and Peyton's dad, and he said, you know what's going to be in a few years? Oh, you're Archie's <laughs> grandpa. You're Archie's grandpa. <laughs> so, 
said, Mike, uh, you know, it's really weird that, you know, I went from Archie Manning, the player, to Peyton and Eli's dad, to now Archie's grandfather. So he said, you know, I, I've been through a lot of different phases, but, you know, for a lot of people, Arch, Archie Manning, uh, yeah, I saw him doing some film on DP. We, he, was he pretty good? Yeah. Yeah, he was pretty good. Uh, so... Uh, I'm not going to lie, Mike. You started dating your I'm not going to lie, Mike. The day they traded Archie Man, that bum traded Archie Manning for Leon Gray, I cried. I'm not going to I'm not going to lie to you. I, I'm not ashamed to admit it. When they traded Archie Manning for Leon Gray, I cried. Yeah, Arch, Archie and I, we both work, we both spokespeople for a typical regional medical center. And uh, Archie would always tell me this story. He said, listen, I'll always understand why bum traded me but i'll never forgive him for trading me to houston because they were every right. as bad as we were like he said he could have done me a favor and he could have traded me a, a pretty good team but he to philadelphia or something uh, yeah and you know that but uh, you know so again you're kind of dating your age you know, when you talk about, man, I remember Billy Kilmer with the Saints. Or I remember Archie with the Saints or Ed Hargett with the Saints. Bobby and, Scott. Uh, Bobby Scott with the Saints. And, you know, you, you start a, a clipping it a little bit, uh, that particular edge. And so, Well, Bobby Hebert had quite an interesting road coming to New Orleans. And a lot of that certainly was, uh, was Edwin Edwards. Edwin, right. think about the, the standing governor of a state stepping in and saying, you know, okay, I'm going to get this guy to come back to Louisiana. Bobby was all set to sign with Seattle. Right. And they agreed on terms. He just hadn't put his name on a contract. And um, Edwin got in touch with Leonard Chabert, who was the uh, representative down here. And he was like, Leonard, you got, get, got to get in touch with Bobby or Bobby's dad, and I need to talk to him now. Now, when the governor tells you that at that time, you say, yes, sir, I'll get in touch with you. Bobby's dad was so kind of, you know, verklempt, I guess the right, best term. Right. That the governor was calling him. He actually hung up on him. Uh, you know, he didn't he, believe him. He was him. so excited. And he, he hooked him up with, with Bobby, who was in Seattle, and he, and he told Bobby, have you signed the contract? He said, no. He said, well, look, uh, we're going to send a private jet for you. Get on that jet, fly to San Antonio, and talk to Mr. Benson with your agent. And Bobby was like, Governor, you, you don't understand. Uh, I have agreed to terms. He said, you haven't signed anything, right? He said, no. He said, well, get on that plane. He said, listen, they'll sign you in three days if you don't work out. But he said, get on that plane and come talk to Mr. Benson. And I think Hebert told me he was going to make like eight hundred grand uh, with Seattle. And so... You know, him and his wife at that time, they, they meet at the band, they go to go to bed, they get up the next morning, and, and Campbell, you Campbell was his, his agent, and he said, Bobby, I got you $1.2 million. And Bobby was like, what? Is that an agreement uh, verbally, or you got to know? You know, he said, I got to know paper. He said, well, man, give it here. I'm signing. And so you think about a standing governor of a state stepping in at that moment and saying, this is not going to happen, and I'm going to do what I can to bring you back. And that, that was a big part of it. And uh, Edwin would always tell a story that um, he said, uh, you know, they got a lot of people that lie in this world. He said, because uh, they got a lot of people from New Orleans that claim they got money, 
He said, Mike, you know what they claim that they don't have? And they really do. They got more debt than money. That's and he said, I found out. Uh, I went and looked for a guy that was going to buy the Saints, and no one. And he said, I'm telling you, no one other than Tom Benson had the money to do it. And he said, yeah, he said, I sort of lied to Tom. I told him, listen, we're going to have a group of guys that will help you out and be part of the team. So right. he said, I brought Mr. Benson in, and he said, the group was one. He said, Tom, where's the other guys? He said, well, this is the other guys. This is it. Yeah, you, you it. And so he said, you know, I hear this talk about when they do these features on, on people about how much money they got and how much this and that. And he said, you know, on the buyer, he said, uh, where you live, and he, he was from southwest Louisiana. He said, you know, a lot of people with money, but he said, they like your mom. They, they swear poverty. You know, because my right. mom was sort of like, oh, I, I I don't have money to do that. My mom, you know, she got money like Trump, you know. So, <laughs> but that was the deal. You know, you never admit you got cash. You know, you never admit right. you got money. And he said, Mike, I found out all these New Orleans people, Baton Rouge people that wanted to do interviews and would swear to you they got all this well. Really, what they got is a lot of debt. Yeah. You know, he said, a lot of debt. They don't have a lot of money. And he said, Tom Benson uh, stepped up when he said, uh, we really needed it. Because he said, that team was really, Meekum was going to take that team to Jackson. Jackson. He said, it was, it was, he was, he was ready to go. And he said, I did threaten him. And he said, I told him, you move this team to Jacksonville. Don't ever come back to this state. <laughs> to do any sort of business. Now, when the governor tells you that, uh, you're like, oh, okay, let me... Especially that governor. But, you know, but he said, John was okay. He said, if that's the case, he said, find me a guy that'll buy it. And he said, he did give me that caveat. And so he said, I started making phone calls and, oh, no, Gov, I don't have that kind of money. Right. But he said, Tom, tell me that. He said, Tom told me, well, let's talk about it. And... You know, and that was an important piece because I think New Orleans would have gotten another team uh, had they lost the Saints, but it may have been years down the yeah. line. It would have been years before they did. And and how, you know, what bringing the Saints to New Orleans in the 60s has meant uh, in the development downtown and the helping build the Superdome and and – you know, it, it is entertainment uh, football, but, uh, you know, there's been low moments, but there's also been a lot of high moments. And yeah. being able to enjoy it as a community. Just think about it, It's difficult to put a price on. Just think about it, Mike, though. Where would guys, I mean, and I know the general public doesn't care about this part of it, but where would guys like you and I be? And I'm, I'm not joking. I'm serious. Like, I, I don't think I'd be I doing this. I've covered time. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Become I mean, uh, so, uh, yeah, it's um, this is football country because, you know, doing sports talk, uh, you could talk football uh, 52 weeks out of the year, seven days a week, 365. 100%. Talk about it. You start talking about Pelicans. Okay. And we have a text line and we could have like eight callers waiting. And they all want to talk about either the Saints or LSU, especially right. today, LSU, because of the coaching search. And as soon as you bring up Pelicans, poof, they hang man, uh, that's it, <laughs> gone. I mean, Pelicans, uh, well, 
I don't, and I had a great deal the other day, and I can tell the story. Um, I was given some tickets uh, to a Pelicans game, and you know the the weather had gotten ugly that night, and it was against the Hawks. It was a nationally televised game, and so uh, I didn't feel like going. And it, it, it was tickets to sit front row, and, and I couldn't give them away, Jim. I couldn't. I just couldn't give them away. Well, it doesn't so, help with uh, that three and sixteen either. And, you know, and so I pull out of the parking lot, and I had a parking pass the whole shoot match. So uh, I pull out of the parking lot uh, where I park at uh, at WWL, and and there's a guy that's parking cars at a restaurant and I rolled down the window and I asked him, I said, Hey, are you a big uh, NBA fan? He said, Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, I love the NBA. I said, would you want two tickets to the Pelicans game? And he was like, you're kidding me. I said, no. And so I gave him the tickets. I gave him the parking pass. He said, no, he said, man, I knock off at seven 30. He said, I'll give me enough time to go to the game. But he said, man, the Pelican, man, they so sorry right now. <laughs> they sorry. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> I told him that story. But he did take the tickets. So the next, uh, I think a couple of days later, I see him. I roll down the window. And he was like, "Man, that was a pretty good game." He said, uh, "The you know, Pelicans played pretty well against the Hawks." He said, "Man, they still sorry." Yeah. But yeah, it's crickets. I mean, it's well, crickets. Look, I started this podcast fully intending to spend a decent amount of time talking about the Pelicans, but I probably spent. I mean, you know, this is episode number twenty-seven, so I, probably an hour and a half a show. You do the math. I'm not great at math, so forty something hours worth of worth of datitude. And I probably spent, if you add it all up, I probably spent an hour and a half talking about the Pelicans. I mean, and that's not what I thought was going to happen. But the people don't want to hear about that right now. No, they don't. They don't. They want to talk about a winner, and we get more people react to now today LSU basketball because of Will Wade, right? And certainly the that's. Uh, uh, Kim Mulkey coming into town, right? Uh, uh, and and we get a lot more people ask us about that than about the Pelicans. I mean, and um, and and both of them have come on WWL in the last, I think, eight nine days. And Kim's um, man, you talk about a great guest. Kim is unbelievable, um, and and so is Will. Uh, know him a little bit. He, he comes to our television show a couple times a year uh, when we do it in Homa with Bobby and I and and Rich Marty. On, on sports on the buy and, and we'll we'll come down there and but Kim was she was great I mean she really she was terrific and uh, we had all sort of talked about this do we want to ask Kim Moki who's gonna if she had a choice who would she pick as the new head coach at LSU and Bobby was like Mike you make that call and I'm like no let's ask her we'll just see her reaction and she was like, I'm glad you asked me that question. Really? Because I'm the perfect person that I would bring in and offer him $15 million a year. And we all wait. And she said, it would be Sean Payton. <laughs> and she said, I know I would get some Saints fans upset, but Sean, this is my plea to you that you could have a bigger impact coaching college football than you could coaching the NFL. And, man, she went off for two to three minutes, and we all sitting in the studio is like, whoa, that was something, you know, because you, you, you don't know how somebody's going to react to a question 
And yet, man, she she was gold with it. It was gold. Because sometimes, like with Coach O, when we've had him on, only because, you know, we all grew up with him, and Bobby and him were roommates and stuff. And uh, I never forget, he, uh, when he got the job, I'm driving to Mississippi, and we're going to have him on that night. And, um, you know, he calls up, hey, what's going on, T-Boy? I was like, no, good, good. He's like, uh, listen, a uh, couple things. Uh, he said, uh, you get a chance, call my mom up, uh, talk to my mama, you know, because, uh, man, they got a bunch of people that want to talk to my mom and stuff. And, you know, I, you know uh, my mom's like your mom. She can embarrass you if she really wants to. So, uh, you know, you got to tell her to be careful what she says. You know what I mean? And I said, yeah. Right. He said, uh, tell Hey-Bear, uh, whatever happened at Northwestern stays in Northwestern. You got it? I said, I got it. I, got it. I said, listen, I, I'm going to be better with your mom than I will with Hey-Bear because there ain't no telling. So, LSU plays Northwestern a couple years back, and some, I forget which one of the writers had called me and says, you know, can you give me Bobby's number? I said, sure. I want to do a story on Coach O and, and him at Northwestern. I started thinking about that. Man, okay. Um, I wonder where this is going to go. And uh, Bobby's comment is, you'd have to torture me for me to tell you what happened at Northwestern. <laughs> we had some great times. I said, Bob, that's worse than telling the story. That makes it sound even worse, <laughs> you know. But, you know, it was Bobby being Bobby, you know. Yeah. So uh, I yeah, can only they, imagine they those two good. together. Oh, man. Uh, they, they had, and it was the first time either one of them had ever been away from home uh, for many length right. of time. And um, really, Bobby was the last recruit signed by Northwestern. Ed was probably, even today, goes down as one of the three or four most highly recruited players from the Bayou area. He could have went anywhere. Right. And his dad, his dad, wanted, his dad was really something, Mr. Bebe. And uh, he, he sort of told Bear Bryant, get off my property. You know, <laughs> the bear lands there. You know, you know, comes out of a helicopter. And, yeah. You know, he wants to come in to talk to Ed and Mr. Bebe. Oh, no, 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 no. You can get off my property. My boy's going to LSU. And basically... I don't say he threw him off the property, but it was about as close as you can get. They had to have Kaku get in there to, to kind of settle things. <laughs> but it was what um, – but, again, yeah. man, you know, you're away from home, and, you know, it, it's, it was a different world, different time, and that sort of thing. And, you know, we talk about that a lot. I lived across the street uh, from a guy that was – turned out to be one of the great horse jockeys from Louisiana, and Shane Sellers. Uh, Shane lived across oh, yeah. from me, he's uh, 15, 16 years. And, uh, you know, he goes, they moved to Iraq, and, you know, he becomes one of the top jockeys in the country, you know, in the 80s, 90s, and right. then he hurts his knee. And now he's, you know, training horses and breeding horses and that sort of thing. I think about the four of us from this little cut of land, you know, when we were 18, 19 years old, say, okay. Uh, this is what it's going to be like for us, you know? And uh, so, yeah, it, it was strange deal uh, across the board, but uh, all of us have had some, some good moments and uh, uh, thankful to the man above. He, he put us in a good spot. Well, there's no doubt about that. And we're all lucky to be involved in sports some kind of way. And again, I don't and listen, Jim, I, I, I'm convinced of this and I, and I have not talked to him about it, but I think, Ed's future is going to be in television. I could say I, that. I think I could. No, you think about his personality, 
he can tell a story. He knows all these recruits. And, you know, I could see him on an ESPN, SEC network. The other flip of the coin is, is that he knows a lot of people in California. You know, and I remember the national championship came the two biggest donors to USC. He introduces me to this guy, the two biggest donors in Southern Cal. Oh, my deal is what the hell are they doing here? Yeah. He's like, hey, oh, hey, we partnered this, Buck. We partnered this, new boy. Okay. <laughs> and, uh, I look at that uh, Fox deal, and I recall him telling me the story about how he was part of recruiting Matt Liner at Reggie Bush. And guess who's doing Fox? College football. Yeah. Reggie Bush. That's right. Matt Liner. And so uh, that, there's some connections there. And uh, I, I think really, you know, Ed's 60 years old, and, uh, man, you know, he's coached a long time. And there comes a point where you don't want to do it anymore. It, the, the, the grind is, it, it really gets you down. It would not surprise me to see him. At no, and ESPN loves him. ESPN loves oh, him. Going there. Uh, when he's there, when he would do um, the car wash thing, it, yeah. you know, and, he, and, and Ed – you know, he's from Dubai, so he's personal. He'd go talk to everybody and anybody. And uh, he, he would always tell me, hey, man, uh, I talked to this guy. He said they know you. I talked to this lady. She said they know you and all this. That Man, you know a lot of people. I said, huh, so do you. He's like, yeah, I guess that's part of living on the Bayou. But he said, man, how the hell two guys from the Bayou know people from New York, New Jersey, uh, California? <laughs> and, you know, but that would not shock me one bit. Not at all. That that his future that he's going to get on one of these networks and it's going to click. And if they let him tell stories, you're going to be there for think, quite some I still time. think you, Bobby, you, Bobby and, and coach O could have, if y'all had a show together, that Re- might be a reality. I've, we've had so many people walk up to me and he said, Mike, you got to make this happen. You know, some people in the, the movie business, a reality TV show. A hundred percent. Pocho and Bobby. And I'm like, man, I think I could get the okay from Ed. Uh, I don't know about Bobby. You don't know Bobby would do it? That would, uh, you know, so it it would be fun, I guess, uh, to, to see all that intermingle. But, uh, you know, uh, I do think really that that is probably going to be his future, that he is going to be a TV guy. And, and he can do talk show already. He, you know, he does – you know, he did it weekly with us, and he was, man, he's, you know, at, man, when he's good, he's really good. He is. You know, and you know, he short answered a lot of times, but, man, when you get him to tell a story, man, he can go on forever uh, with a story. And, and the people that he's had at LSU and Southern Cal and Tennessee and Miami or Florida, and we had Warren Sapp on, and Warren tells the story about first time he ever – saw the rock wrestle and some of those sayings, you know, you can stick it up, you know, the candy, you know what? Right. Uh, and he's like, wait a minute. He stole that from, from coach. O. Coach O would say that. And, and so what I asked him, I said, Edward, he's like, yeah, Mike, he said, uh, yeah, I said it. He said, uh, but that was the 28 year old at Ogeron saying that, uh, you know, that sort of thing and challenging him. And he said, you know, Mikey said, the one thing I can say about those days at Miami, the practices were a lot 
tougher than the games. He said, man, it, it was survival of the fittest in practice. He said, man, those guys were getting after one another. And he said it was it was it was brutal those practices because you know the defense didn't want to take anything from the offense. The offense wasn't going to uh, back down from that defense. And he said, man, when they get after it, it was something. And he said, I made the greatest call I will ever make in my life. Uh, he said, the rock. He said, you know, wasn't maybe up to snuff in a practice. And he said, you know. I was after him about, hey, uh, if you can't practice hard enough, well, why don't you go do what your grandpa and your daddy are doing and go wrestle? You might make a few bucks. He said, Mike, it's the greatest call I ever made. He said, now, he said, you know, one thing with Rock, you know, he, you know, he, I didn't know how to handle him, but he said, you know, once you told him that, then he was ready to go. And he said, you know, you think about it, he never said anything here. They called him duty. And he said, Mike, he said hardly nothing. He said, we had a lot of talks. You're talking about, you know, what Ray Lewis and Warren Sapp and Mike Riley and, and all these guys. He said, man, they, they talked all the time. But he said, Dwayne never said anything, nothing. That's funny. And he said, first time I hear him, is like, wait a minute. Somebody's got to be doing the talking for him because he never talked like that here. Right. And then when Sapp was, wait a minute, all them sayings that the rock got and how he would put his hand out, it doesn't matter. He said, that's exactly <laughs> what Ogeron would say. And he said, he said, he stole got that. It he all said, from residuals. Who knew? Getting I told you good stuff. I also told you that I was going to end a little abruptly. Remember, we go, <laughs> that this was recorded last Wednesday. We went right into. Um, talking about the Saints and Bills, so that's how why it ended so weirdly. Mike, to tell you, I thank him for coming on and uh, brightening up the show. Uh, before we let you go, we talked a little bit about the LSU football coaching search. Again, it could happen any time now. Will it happen before we come on the air again Wednesday? I think there's an excellent chance. I think by the time we start episode 30, we know who the next LSU football coach is. Um. I don't really have any guesses. People have been asking me since yesterday. I've been getting texts from all over the place. People I haven't even talked to in, that long, in, in quite a bit. Who's going to be the next LSU football coach? Give me your insider info. If I had insider info, I'd let you know. I don't have any. The only really insider info I guess I have is it's not Vance Joseph. Um, I'd be shocked if it's Vance Joseph. So I think we're looking at Aranda... Um, I think you're looking at possibly Matt Campbell, potentially Luke Fickle. I just hope it's not. I can't even say it. I mean, I, I, it can't be Lane Kiffin, right? Oh, I'm telling you, I'll have a hard time. If it's Lane Kiffin, I'm going to have a really hard time accepting that. I am not a Lane Kiffin fan. But anyway, we'll see. Anyway, I think there's a great chance that we do know the answer to that by Wednesday when we come on and talk about Saints and Cowboys. Uh, before we let you go, I do want to talk briefly about the yesterday's day in the NFL. It was a strange day in the NFL. Um, I saw a stat yesterday, and I didn't realize it. I guess it should have dawned on me that uh, you didn't need to worry about spreads yesterday. The favorites either 
one out right and covered or they lost. That's very strange. That doesn't happen very often. I mean, you're talking about what? Let's see. There's 15 games this week and 11 of them were being played on Sunday. So 11 games yesterday. The favorites either covered and won outright. Obviously, they won outright if they covered. So the favorites either covered or they lost outright. That's just insane. That doesn't happen. And uh, we knew it would be a tough day for those in knockout pools. Those of you who don't know what a knockout pool is, we've talked about it on the show before, but you, you pick a team every week to win. And all they have to do is win. The spread doesn't matter. But once you pick that team, you can't pick them again. If you win, you move on to the next week. If you lose, you're out. And I'm in a, a couple of them. Um, one, the winner gets twenty grand. One, the winner gets I don't know somewhere around thirteen grand. Um, and the, it's run by the same person. The second one actually didn't start until like I think four or five weeks ago. Four weeks ago, I think. Um, so the first one, it started with five hundred and forty people. Was down to let's see, down to twenty, I believe, going into the week. So I had a one in twenty chance of winning twenty grand. Well, I had my choices this week. It's such a hard week. Um, I would have taken the Bills had I not taken them already because I knew they were going to beat the Saints. I'm I'm not trying to be mean. I just that's what I would have taken. So my picks were down to Dallas, Cincinnati, and Chicago. And I debated and I debated. I debated. Whenever I think long, I think wrong. So guess which one I pick? You got it, Dallas. Had I picked Cincinnati, I'd be one of five people left, and we'd probably be chopping. I'd probably be $4,000 richer this morning had I, picking, had I taken Cincinnati instead of Dallas. It is what it is. At least in the second knockout pool, I did have Baltimore last night. And Did you watch that game? Four picks. Lamar Jackson threw four interceptions. Before last night, teams that threw four interceptions or more in the same game we're 0-52 since 2015. And somehow the Ravens found a way to win. Thank goodness. I'm moving on in that. 13 people left. So I now have a 1-13 in 13 chance of winning 13 grand, or maybe it's more like a 1-4 in 4 chance of winning, what, $2,500 or 3 grand or whatever it would be. Hey, I'll take it. Baby needs some Christmas presents. Actually... Neither of these kids need Christmas presents, I'll tell you that. But I digress. Uh, but anyways, an interesting day in the NFL. Made me sweat. Uh, my NFL picks were so-so. I think I'm 7-7 seven and seven this week against the spread, so I need the Seattle Seahawks to win tonight. They are a pick em against the Washington football team, and I have the Seahawks. So uh, we've had a nice little run lately. Uh, I believe that we were something like seven games above 500 coming into this week, so we certainly want to keep that going in the right direction. Um, it's been a pretty good month as far as picking. Not a great month for the Saints, um, but a great month for a pretty good month for, for my picks column, so we'll try to keep that going um, this week. That is just going to be about – that's going to wrap it up for episode 29. Again, I want to thank Mike to tell you, even though we recorded the episode on Wednesday, and I thanked him already, I, I thank him for having – such great stuff. I mean, enough stuff so where I could get two episodes out of it. So we were going to try to take it light today and have a half day off, so that's what we're doing today. Uh, before we leave, I want to give a shout-out to Caesar Sportsbook, who is an exclusive partner with us at The Advocate. 
TimesPQNBet.NOLA.com. A reminder that we have a link on Bet.NOLA.com where you can download the app and get a free $100 bet when it goes live. Uh, don't forget about our shows each Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. We'll have one later today. Odds and Ends is coming on later today. Uh, we'll re- recap what's going on, and I'm sure we'll talk about the LSU coaching search there. Um, and I think there are some bets. Uh, there are odds out in an offshore casino that I'm sure we'll get into. That's coming up later today. Odds and Ends on bet.nola.com. Also, like I said uh, Friday, I want to say to those who live in St. Tammany Parish, big vote is coming up on December 11th. We need the Camellia Bay Casino in Slidell. It will mean so much to the community up here. All the money that's going to Mississippi now, from those in New Orleans East and throughout the North Shore, it'll stay here in St. Tammany and in the state of Louisiana. It'll be a family-friendly place. That'll be water slides and lazy rivers and pools and places to eat and things to do. It's going to be a very good thing for St. Tammany Parish. Vote yes on December 11th. It will help decrease crime. All this junk you hear by the casino people, they're making stuff up. It's been proven that casinos help decrease crime. I mean, obviously not in every instance. But if you go through and use the statistics on what casinos have done across the country, they've decreased crime. It also helps, uh, it helps put more money in the coffers of local, of local government. So where they can afford to hire new police officers and firemen and... Um, we need this. Vote yes on December 11th if you live in St. Tammany Parish. Again, I want to thank Mike Dettelier. We will find out. I will try to find out tomorrow who our guest is going to be on Wednesday. Again, we will preview uh, the Saints and the Cowboys who are playing on Thursday night. We also have Conductor Dave back on, and we'll see if I get a li- if I got a little bit closer this week and see what I can do. I think I'm catching up with the choo-choo. And then on Friday, we're going to obviously go through Saints Cowboys with a fine-tooth comb. Jeff Duncan and I will be on Friday, I know for sure. Uh, in fact, I'm going to be at the Dome on Thursday night, and I think we're going to record the show um, after we're done. So that could be up early Friday morning. Just a big treat for you, especially if the Saints win it, right? We'll see. <laughs> anyway, Uncle Big Nick also will be on Friday. More to come on that. Hey, keep your heads up, Saints fans. Look, if they win this week, who the heck knows? They could get right back in it. We'll see. We'll talk to you on Wednesday with a big preview. Peace and love, my friends. There's a tree in the Grand Hotel